Chapter 9. Does God Care When We Hurt? In Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Harry comes to a sickening realization. Professor Dumbledore had planned for him to die. Dumbledore had given Harry the mission of destroying the seven horcruxes that held parts of Lord Voldemort's soul. What Harry didn't know was that he himself was one, but Dumbledore knew. How neat, how elegant, not to waste any more lives, Harry reflects, but to give the dangerous task to the boy who had already been marked for slaughter. Harry feels bitterly betrayed. He had never questioned his own assumption that Dumbledore wanted him alive. As we look back over Harry's life, we see Dumbledore's role in Harry's suffering from the first. When Harry was orphaned as a baby, Dumbledore left him with his horrible aunt and uncle. Aunt Petunia had hated Harry's mother, and she hated Harry. You had suffered, Dumbledore admits. I knew you would when I left you on your aunt and uncle's doorstep. I knew I was condemning you to ten dark and difficult years. Harry had been raised without love. He was routinely beaten up by his cousin, Dudley, who also made sure Harry didn't make friends at school. Even before Harry faced the epic suffering of death-defying conflict in the magical world, he faced the day-to-day -day suffering of a lonely, loveless, bullied childhood. Why? Because Dumbledore thought it was best. Christians believe that the God who made the universe is in control of everything. In fact, the Bible claims that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Romans 8.28 but how can we believe that? If there is a God in charge of everything, a God with even more power over us than Dumbledore had over Harry, why would he let bad things happen? How can we believe that God is full of power and love when he lets wars break out, families break up, kids get bullied, and babies die? This is a question everyone should ask. It would take a set of books longer than the Harry Potter series to answer it properly, but in this chapter, we will look at one story about Jesus and what it tells us about suffering. From this story, we'll see that God really is in charge and that he really does care. And Jesus doesn't come. Mary and Martha were two of Jesus' best friends. They'd welcomed Jesus to their house and heard him teach. One day, their brother Lazarus got sick, really sick. But Mary and Martha knew a miracle worker. Thousands of sick people had come to Jesus, and he'd healed them. So they sent Jesus a message, Lord, he whom you love is ill. You'd think that Jesus would come at once, right? But no. John writes, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. John 11, 5-6. How weird is that? John doesn't say... Jesus loved his friends, but he was super busy with other things, so he couldn't come right away. He doesn't say, Jesus didn't love his friends, so he thought he'd make them wait. John says that because Jesus loved his friends, he didn't come. In fact, Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead, and then he came. What do we learn from this? One thing we learn is that there are times when God intends for us to suffer, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. We may not understand it at the time, just as Harry didn't understand why Dumbledore had left him with the Dursleys, but we know that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and because he loved them, he didn't come. Maybe you've had suffering in your life, and you've prayed really hard for God to take it away. Perhaps someone at school bullies you, and you've prayed that he would stop, but he hasn't. 
Or perhaps your mother got really sick, and you prayed for her to get better, but she didn't. Or maybe you prayed and prayed that your parents would stop fighting, but instead they got divorced. If God loves us, and he is in charge, we might think he'd take sad things away when we ask, and sometimes he does. I've certainly had that experience. But sometimes he doesn't, and I've had that happen too. Just like when Mary and Martha called for Jesus and he didn't come. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus comes. When Jesus finally comes, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. Martha goes out to meet him. Lord, she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. John 11, 21 and 22. Isn't her faith amazing? Martha believes Jesus can heal her brother, even though he's been dead for days. So does Jesus rush to bring Lazarus back from the dead? No. Instead, they talk. Your brother will rise again, says Jesus. Many Jews at that time believed that God would raise his people to life again at the end of time. So Martha responds, I know that he will rise again, in the resurrection on the last day. And yet we can almost hear her thinking, But what about now, Jesus? What about now? Why won't you help me now? The Bible promises that God will put everything right for his people in the end. When Jesus comes back as king, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But sometimes that doesn't feel very comforting. Martha believes that her brother will come back to life at the end of time, but she wants him back now. She knows how powerful Jesus is. She knows he could raise Lazarus right away. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus looks into his heart, this heartbroken woman's eyes and says these astonishing words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 11, 25 and 26. Martha wants to have her brother back more than anything in the world. She's desperate. And Jesus could make her deepest wish come true. But instead of giving Martha her wish, Jesus tells her that what she needs most is not Lazarus, but Jesus himself. He is the resurrection and the life. Sometimes, if we're honest, we want a gift more than we want the giver. In the Harry Potter series, Harry's cousin, Dudley, is very spoiled. His parents are always giving him gifts, and when he doesn't get what he wants, he screams and complains. He doesn't really want his parents. He wants what they can give him. But Harry's parents died when he was a baby, and when he looks in the mirror of Erised that shows you the thing you most want, he sees himself with them. Just being with his parents is his most desperate wish. He doesn't want their money or their stuff. He wants them. And when Jesus looks into Martha's eyes, he tells her the greatest truth that you and I could ever learn. What we need the most is not what Jesus can give us. It's Jesus himself. He is the resurrection and the life. Sometimes, we think of prayer like a vending machine. We put a coin of prayer in the machine, press the number for the thing that we want, and expect it to drop into our hands. If God really loves us, surely he'll give us the things we desire. When we don't get what we ask for, we think the machine must be broken. But God is not a means to an end. He is the end. He's not a vending machine. He's a person. He's not just the greatest gift giver in the history of the world. He is the greatest gift and he meets us most tenderly in our suffering. Jesus weeps. 
Martha answers Jesus' question with stunning faith. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But then she calls Mary, who falls at Jesus' feet and repeats her sister's complaint. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like Mary and Martha, we can cry out to God in our suffering. In fact, the book of Psalms in the Bible is full of suffering people crying out to God and asking why he isn't helping them. I've been in that place myself. Maybe you have too. Crying on the floor, asking the Lord, why won't you help me now? If you are a follower of Jesus, you'll find yourself in that place before long, lying like Mary at Jesus' feet and wondering why he didn't answer your prayer. So how does Jesus react to Mary? And how does he react to us when we cry out in our pain? Jesus asks where Lazarus' body has been laid. And then we read one of the shortest and most surprising verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why is Jesus so upset? If he had come when Mary and Martha called, Lazarus would not have died and no one would be crying now. When people saw Jesus weeping, some thought he must have loved Lazarus very much. But others asked, could not, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The answer is, yes, Jesus could have stopped Lazarus from dying. He chose not to. But even so, he cried with his friends. Jesus is no faraway God watching us suffer from a distance. He is the God who steps into our suffering. The prophet Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows, and we see in the Gospels how Jesus hurts for hurting people. When my kids are hurt, they want their dad. He holds them in his strong arms and comforts them. Sometimes, to help them, he has to do something painful, like hold ice on a bruise or pour antiseptic on a cut. Sometimes my kids cry and fight, as we all do in our suffering, but their daddy holds them and comforts them with his love, even when he has to do a painful thing. When we suffer, Jesus holds us. He holds us in our heartbreak. He holds us in our fear. He weeps with us when we weep. He knows the end of the story, when he will one day wipe every tear from our eyes. But this does not stop him from holding us now in our pain. In fact, pain is a place of special closeness with him. And perhaps you've noticed this in your own life. We can laugh with anyone, but we tend to cry only with those closest to us. And the bond is strongest when their suffering matches ours, because we know they really understand. In Jesus, we find the one person who knows all our heartache and our pain. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends, beaten by strangers, stripped, abused, and hung up on a cross to die. If you've ever been let down, or teased, or bullied, or felt alone, or got terribly sick, Jesus knows how you feel. There is no wound of ours he cannot touch. He knows the end of the story, when he will make a whole new, better world. And yet he weeps with us when we weep. But that's not the end of the story. To be at peace, and I am desperate. You ran off with it all. Jesus saves. When Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb, he is deeply upset again, and he commands that the gravestone be taken away. In those days, people were often buried in caves, with a stone covering the entrance. Martha warns him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. But Jesus insists. He prays, and then he shouts, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man gets up and walks out of his grave. I often tell the story to my kids. Unlike children in most of human history, they don't know many people who have died. 
If, you've, if you haven't been close to people who have died, it's easy to forget that you'll die one day yourself. But I want my kids to know that when death comes, Jesus will be with them. And one day, when their bodies have rotted and their lives have been forgotten, Jesus will call them out of their graves. The one who called stars into being will also call them back from death to life. Jesus isn't just loving. He's also powerful. When Harry finally goes to his death, he carries with him a resurrection stone. It's hidden in the golden snitch from his first Quidditch match, a seemingly small gift from Dumbledore. Dumbledore planned for Harry to suffer and to die, but he also planned for him to come back to life. The words, I open at the close, were engraved on the snitch. Harry didn't know how, this li- how his life could be saved, but Dumbledore did, and when the time came, it was. If we're trusting in Jesus, we're holding a resurrection stone in our hands. Nothing can snatch it away from us, because nothing can snatch us away from Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. The only man who has ever beaten death beat death for us, and he has promised to give us life, not just for a few more years, but forever. Is it worth it? Harry was so famous in the wizarding world that if he'd grown up there, he might have turned out like his awful cousin Dudley, who thought the world revolved around him. So Dumbledore chose for Harry to suffer a painful childhood living with his aunt and uncle, not because he didn't care about Harry, but because he did. Dumbledore sent Harry to his death, clutching the resurrection stone, not because he wanted Harry dead, but because he wanted him finally to live life free of Voldemort. The question we must ask when we see suffering is this. What could possibly be worth it? Jesus' flabbergasting claim is that he is. If you're trusting in Jesus, you can be sure that any suffering you face is not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. This doesn't mean we'll always understand. Often, we won't. The Bible is full of suffering people crying out to God and asking why. There are no easy answers. But if Jesus was willing to suffer and die for us, We can trust him, even with our most terrible hurts. He is the resurrection and the life. He is writing our story right to the end. And if we're trusting in him, that ending will be unimaginably good. Chapter 9 Summary God is in control of all things, including our suffering. God doesn't let us suffer because he doesn't love us. He meets us in our suffering and promises to bring us through it. Jesus isn't a means to an end to change our circumstances. He is the end. He isn't just a way to get a better life. He is the resurrection and the life. The point of prayer isn't mostly to get things from Jesus, but to get Jesus himself. Even though Jesus knows the end of the story, when he will wipe every tear from our eyes, Jesus weeps with us when we weep. Often, we won't understand the reason for our suffering, but God knows the end of our story, and if we are trusting in him, it will be unimaginably good. 